the global focus this evening and we are in conversation with Mr. Peter Fabricius, foreign affairs journalist with the Daily Maverick, the principal of a rotating pan-African parliament presidency, which Southern Africa insists on is still not accepted by all. It is believed that fireworks could erupt again tomorrow, as they did a year ago in the pan-African parliament, meets in Midrand and tries once more to elect its president, Southern Africa, is expecting its official candidate, ZANU-PF member and a Zimbabwean senator, Chief Fortune Charumbira, to be elected unopposed because it says that West Central and East Africa have all held the presidency before. And North Africa is also backing Charumbira. So, Peter Fabricius, good evening. Thank you so much for joining us. Just on that account... There's good reason why one would say then the political climate in Africa is just not conducive for development when they can't even agree on its leadership. How much more on policy and the distribution of resources towards the development of the African continent? And we are talking about, I mean, the creme de la creme. If we're talking about a pan-African parliament, these are the policy drivers and makers of Africa, and they can't even agree on something as simple as leadership. Why should it be, if you will, so tribal? Good evening, Peter. How are you? Yeah, that is a good question. Um, the thing about the Pan-African Parliament, too, is that it doesn't actually have as yet any uh, real legislative power. You know? It was created uh, 20 years ago or so to, um, uh, to, to uh, evolve towards actually having binding le- legislative power. On, on on the countries represented, but it, it it doesn't have it yet. So it's really not a whole lot more than um, than you know than a debating chamber. So as you suggest, one would expect at the very least some dignity in the debate. But certainly that wasn't apparent a year ago. But, you know, it's hard to say where it'll happen again. Yes, some of the characters uh, are different, but the some are the same. And and as as you are reading out from our story, the Central principle of um, a rotating presidency has not been accepted by all. So, what is the basis of that? I mean, I understand why the argument would be: let's have a rotating presidency mm-hmm. so that the regional interests are considered, mm-hmm. the questions of language and the regional issues are given more prominence through yeah. their head. I mean, this was the debate with Ngosa Zanadlamini Zuma in 2016, I think it was, or 2015, for her position as AU mm-hmm. um, commissioner, when it was said that there hasn't, one, been a woman before, and there hasn't been anybody from the Anglophone nations. That's what would have propelled her to that position. And, of course, the optics of all of these things are important on the African continent, given the diversity that it boasts. Why, then, would this proposal, I'm not suggesting I am for it, but what would be the basis of the offensive nature of this proposal when it says the East, the North, the West have had it, now it's time for the South, and the North endorses this? In other words, what is the position of the West and in the East in opposing this proposal? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, you know, what's been uh, offered against it is a, is a sort of legalistic argument in a way, but one can one can certainly um, surmise that there's something behind that, and that is a power struggle. And, and it also gets down to just positions, you know. I mean, these are positions of pay people, uh, 
state provide them with a certain amount of prestige and so on and so forth. Their argument is that um, the Pan-African Parliament is, although it's in, in a certain sense an African Union body, it's created along with other institutions of the African Union, uh, but that it, it, it's supposed to enjoy a degree of autonomy, so it should set its own rules. And they claim that the Pan-African Parliament has never passed uh, a law, its own law, which, you know, uh, or its own legislative regulations to say that the position should uh, should rotate. So they're saying that have an election which is completely open tomorrow and then whoever is, is appointed uh, will preside over a debate in the House in which they will decide what the rules are. So. Let's talk about the work of the PAP. I mean, the election is one thing, and let's assume and hope, frankly speaking, that we're not going to have the incidents and scenes of last yeah. year where the election itself did not take place. Now, no, let's no, assume no. everything happens the way that it should. And the fact that the PAP doesn't have instruments that can actually give it the sorts of teeth one would want from a pan-African parliament, no. I mean, I think you would want, and it should be implicit in the institution's name, that it's got some influence. But even dialogue, constructive dialogue, has a way of influencing those members who come to this Pan-African Parliament to when they go back to their own domestic parliaments, some of the multilateral issues will feature very prominently and strongly in the municipal stroke domestic issues such that there can be more convergence of ideas on the continent so that there can be more synergies of ideas on the continent so that the question of development is seen as truly pan-african as as opposed to it being isolated and because it is isolated it therefore becomes very susceptible to outside influences the west the east you name it yeah sure look i mean at that level of course um and it's been quite critical, uh, in, you know, in the past about about the African Union and about and it's and it's laid down some quite good principles like deposing, you know, uh, people altering the constitution in order to get a third term and so on. These kind of debates, the kind of debates which everybody has, journalists have, think tanks have, whatever normal people in the streets have, they have had, and and in, to the degree that any kind of you know powerful statement of a position rhetorically can have influence, you could say they may have been influential, yeah. So, um, But it, it, it certainly doesn't help give their opinions any kind of um, weight when, when we saw what we saw a year ago in, in the House, which, as you say, we hope we won't see again tomorrow. I'm in conversation with Mr. Peter Fabricius, foreign affairs journalist with the Daily Maverick. The segment is the global focus here on SAFM with me, Songez Omabek. I take the pleasure to invite you for those who want to comment on what your views are at home of and about the Pan-African Parliament. What generally do you make of multilateral African politics and institutions of a multilateral kind on the continent and whether or not in fact they are effective i suppose the question really that i should be asking in the wake of all of these points that we have raised and debated peter is do we in fact even need a pan-african parliament however long it was established 20 years ago you said it still doesn't have the necessary instruments a question implicit in what we're saying and um i have my doubts actually because uh, i mean you could you could 
answer that in the positive as you said that it is there's some reasonable expectation that it will evolve towards what it is eventually supposed to be, a legislative body. But if you look at the how desperate the uh, countries of, of the continent really are and how huge difficulties that the African Union and sub-regional bodies like SADC and so on have in, in, you know, in maintaining uh, some of the values that they're supposed to espouse, uh, it's, it's very difficult to see a point being reached where a parliament sitting um, you know, in, in Midrand, South Africa, could pass a legislation, let's say a, a rule that says that, 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 you know, that no president should stay in office for more than two terms and that any president who tries to amend the Constitution to adopt it should be sanctioned or whatever. You know, mm. that would just, <laughs> it just wouldn't fly, you know. It wouldn't. Um, in terms of, I mean, it wouldn't fly in terms of actually being enacted, you know, of, of being, of, of holding, you know, of holding sway. The relationship between the Parliament, PAP, and the AU Commission, I think, I mean, the AU is the, the AU Commission is the African Union Secretariat, and that undertakes the day-to-day activities of the Union, this major African bloc um, it's based in Ethiopia. And of course, I think that work is probably then more aligned to what typically one would want to see coming from the Pan-African Parliament and it being mandated to the AU to do this work. But one, not only are we not seeing this, but precisely because we're not seeing that, it almost leans towards the fact that the PAP really is nothing more than a body duly constituted for the optics and nothing more. Because if they fail to have an election, for instance, this is something which is just done among themselves. It should not be controversial. This is not a point of divergence on issues, on policy directive, of domestication of conversations taking place at that level into municipal and domestic law. It is just a damn election. Because they can't do that. There surely then have to be genuine conversations, even about its existence, more especially knowing that there is the AU that does exist. It does perform the day-to-day functions and the very same issues, if you like, cut across from other works of AU institutions, the African Development Bank, the African Free Trade, Con- the African Continental Free Trade Agreement. You've got the Charter for Human Rights. You've got a court, a Pan-African court in that regard. The Parliament hasn't at all established and constituted any of these institutions and is not certainly giving and offering any leadership in that regard. The question has to be, why do they exist other than simply a way of engaging resources which the continent can ill afford? More especially in these times. Your thoughts? Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I mean, look, you, one would have to say that the African Court, for example, is not um, a terribly effective body either, uh, and also, you know, not through no fault of its own, because its decisions are, are simply not, um, you know, are not, are, are not followed, not enacted, not obeyed. Um, the, the African Commission, also on, on human and people's rights, is similarly. Uh, passes quite a few judgments and 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 and, and you know issues reports and so on mm-hmm. on the breach of the rules and nothing ever really happens. You know, SADC, for example, is still there's still a proposal on the table for SADC to to create a parliament. And I mean, I for the reasons that you've just spelled out in in, in quite incisive detail, 
I think that would be really a poor idea, you know, we just duplicate the, the superfluity of, of having another you know, chamber, another talk show. Well, that's the point, isn't it? I mean, just making all these superfluous institutions that have got no real impact at yeah. a domestic level, they can't hold each other to account on even the existing structures at a regional level. Think of what happens in ECOWAS, in the East Africa community, in SADC, and even in the Arab states. There isn't regional accountability of that kind yeah. that when you look at it in practice, you think this is a good model that can then be replicated only on a broader pan-African basis which is precisely why I am minded to think that certain institutions, just because in the so-called developed or the Western world exist and are effective, for instance, the EU is one effective multilateral body, it doesn't make it necessarily the case that that model should therefore be modeled in the African context because the environment altogether is different. The history and the culture and the question and the issues of governance are, are tailored to suit this environment much more differently to that European environment, for argument's sake. Yeah, and the, you know, and the, as you said, the history is very different. The history of, I mean, Europe has gone through terrible wars, and in fact, um, it, it, the, the, the European Union was really uh, inspired by, the, after the Second World War, by a desire to try and avoid ever having another European war. Um, to, you know, in other words, to 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 integrate the, the the former warring parties to such a degree that they would have no interest in fighting each other, and we Africa just has you know much I guess you could say much further to go along that route before you can see uh, it, at a certain level Africa has a, a quite a strong sense of 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 identity actually because of having a common history of colonialism. So. But it just doesn't seem to have developed a, a, an integrated sense of its own future, you know, its own, its own destiny. Let's take a couple of voice notes in conversation with Mr. Peter Fabricius, foreign affairs journalist with the Daily Maverick, engaging the question of the, Afri- the Pan-African Parliament sitting tomorrow ostensibly to elect its president, but we can't even take that for granted because last year, when it should have happened, it did not happen. Voice note number one. So, you know, the divisions in Africa run deep. It starts from the days of uh, uh, Nyerere, when Nyerere uh, was uh, in opposition to Kwame Nkrumah uh, in terms of uh, forming One Africa. And uh, Nyerere and the Francophone countries actually won the debate that instead of forming One Africa, they should form uh, regional blocs. And that's why we're in the situation where we are, because there are Westerners who know that One United Africa especially France, is a threat to the Westerners who continue to plunder the resources of Africa. So there are Francophone countries that are sponsored by their master, the France, that want Africa to continue divided. Anonymous. Good evening, Songhez. This is Singh from Polokwani. No, we don't need the PAP, Pan-African Parliament. What we need is for African countries to sort themselves out to sort themselves out, to make sure that their institutions run properly and their economies are able to cater for their people. So they'll be able to stimulate local investment instead of running after foreign direct investment. And by the way, where does the monitoring Pan-African Parliament come from? This is a mess. 
I think that was an important point raised by the first voice note in relation to the foreign interests that certainly do benefit from a divided or not nearly coordinated and cohesive Africa. I'm minded to inquire with regard to your thoughts on that. That's the first point. And in relation to the second point, I think as the gentleman was speaking, I was just thinking about the African peer review mechanism. Whatever happened to that? Because that legacy of the Obasanjo, Nyerere and the Mbekis, if you like, as a legacy of the late 90s into the early 2000s, was precisely established to deal with where there is failure and how it should be accounted for on a peer review mechanism basis. In other words, non-confrontational, but at the same time establishing a basis where perhaps accountability in one way or the other could be secured. It doesn't seem to feature at all. I mean, when last did you hear anything from the African peer review mechanism? It does seem as though this entire PAP thing, from just this conversation and these two voice notes, which of course do not speak for the PAP itself, but at least on this conversation, it is a bit of a stillborn, isn't it? Yeah, look, to the first point, I mean, you, I think it's a bit of a stretch to say that um, everything would be fine if, if the colonial powers had not prevented, uh, you know, the vision of a, of a united Africa. I mean, that was also Gaddafi's vision in a way, you know, uh, the United States of Africa. And he's not um, around. He's not around. Yeah, he's not around. But um, but I, I don't think that regardless of what the, the former colonial powers might have tried to do, that that, that was ever going to fly. I mean, you know, there were just the, the, the kind of national interest and, and sub-national interest were, were just too strong and divisive for that to, to, to happen. And and one could also argue, you know, is, is it really um, desirable? You know, I mean, the European Union was in some ways an alternative to Gaddafi's notion of the United States of Africa because Mbeki, in fact, amongst others, thought that the idea of a, a looser union would be more manageable, really, managing all the, the disparate national tendencies and, and, and interests. Um, and, yeah, so... Um, uh, yeah, you talk about the APRM. You know, the APRM does still exist. Funny enough, it's it's headquartered just down the road from in Midrand, uh, yeah, right, just from the South African Parliament, uh, and it's run by uh, South African, and it's um, it 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 does it does good work in the sense that it it can. I mean, to the extent that it can, it produces pretty cogent reports about the the governance or otherwise of of African countries that have volunteered for it, but. Um, and, and, you know, the people who study it correctly will say some of those ideas do filter into into the way countries are governed. And you could argue in some ways that, that African countries are governed better now than they were 20 years ago or so, and there are more democracies and so on. But it's a very slow, incremental, um, and not, you know, not very um, impressive pace of, of of reforms. We say we're, we're backsliding along the way in places, you know. Well, I mean... If the APRM is to work, the fundamental basis of that is the voluntary um, Mm. membership of those member states. And for so long as a member state has an interest which is different to that which is desirous within the structures of the APRM, it's simply they don't participate. But here's a final conversation. Let's imagine for a moment then these structures did not exist, APRM, Pan-African Parliament, and these regional blocs. 
I think still Africa, and I think the point that you've made is probably well made, that if you left the individual members of the African continent to their own devices as states, perhaps issues of a development as the world and the ages require probably wouldn't be where they are now and they wouldn't be where they are because they would be worse off. I think to a point we have to raise yeah. the point that these institutions are doing the work, albeit that the environment is a pretty hostile one in relation to what we see similar structures are doing in other political blocks. No, I would agree. Um, it's, it's, it at least offers a channel for people to discuss and negotiate their differences rather than fight over them. So in that sense, although it doesn't, it by no means not always worked, it, it, has, it has probably helped Certainly at the level of the AU, as I said, the, P, the PAP, yeah, maybe also in, in, in a way, um, much lesser so, but yeah, it is, it is, it is on, on balance better that they sit down and, and, and discuss and get to know each other, uh, you know, negotiate rather than, than otherwise. Yeah, sure. No, I'm with you. Very well. Let's leave it there, Peter. Thank you so much for your thoughts and insights. And certainly, hopefully, this time tomorrow, we will have a Pan-African Parliament president, irrespective of where he or she might come from. But if word on the ground is to somehow gain a sense of prominence, it would be one from Southern Africa for the sake of peace, if for nothing else. Peter, thanks for your time. Sure. Sure, Cindy. Indeed.